Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. No quick fixes, we just need to be thoughtful and engaged. A group representing psychiatrists across Canada is calling on the federal government to delay its expansion of medical assistance in dying to people suffering from mental illness. Jean Charest, politician, premier and proponent of trade with China, gives us his take on the Trudeau government's Indo-Pacific policy and warnings about doing business with China. Stop, think and dial it back. They need to stay in their lane so that we can stay in our lane. The fallout continues from Daniel Smith's Alberta Sovereignty Act. We'll hear from our political observers. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, I'm Martin Stringer, sitting in for Michael Serapio. We begin tonight with an association representing psychiatrists at 17 medical schools across Canada who are asking the federal government to delay its expansion of medical assistance in dying. In March, medically assisted dying is set to expand to become available in certain circumstances to people suffering incurable mental illnesses. We're going to hear from a psychiatrist in a few minutes, but first, here's Prime Minister Trudeau being asked about this in London, Ontario. Medical assistance in dying is an extremely difficult and personal issue for individuals and families. As a government, we need to make sure that the framework and the resources are in place for people to make informed uh, and uh, proper decisions. Um, We've always striven as a government to be there to support people's rights and their choices, while at the same time making sure we're protecting the most vulnerable. Joining me now is Dr. Valerie Taylor. She's president of the Association of Chairs in Psychiatry, and she's a psychiatric chair at the University of Calgary. Dr. Taylor, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me about to discuss this important issue. You are a group of uh, 17 medical schools and teaching hospitals, I think 80 professionals who have written to the federal government. You want the government to hold off on expanding the eligibility for medical-assisted dying to those with mental illnesses. Why? Why do we need a delay? I think that our concern is that we represent provincially a variety of different medical schools across Canada, and we're just a little concerned about on-the-ground pragmatic implementation of this come March. Why? What what kind of challenges are there? Uh, Are people not trained up? Is it the the way the determinations that have to be made, uh, who's eligible for, for medical assistance in dying, who have psychiatric conditions? I think it is all of the above. Uh, We recognize that excellent work has been done federally, but that there have also been a number of curveballs thrown to all of us who have anything to do with healthcare over the course of the last two years, including the COVID pandemic. And so that has delayed things. And so we don't want to derail the excellent work that has been done up until now by rushing to meet an arbitrary March 17th date. This is not a delay forever or not even a delay for a significant period of time. We want to just ensure that when this does get rolled out that we're able to do it in a way that's going to be the most efficient and the most effective and we're just a little concerned that we're now into december and not taking away from the excellent work that has been done up until now 
but we're not going to be quite ready for a March 17th launch on the ground. Okay, I, I read an article and I read your letter, and I saw some things referred to that are, you have to train everyone up, and some of the determinations you have to make are not easy, and some are complex, and people have to be up to speed across the country on it. And I saw two references. One is about suicidal patients who may be availing themselves of this option, but they're basically just committing suicide, and the other is about trying to determine who have Irremedial, irremedial or, or incurable conditions and who might be respond to medication. Those, are those two of the problems in terms of making determinations? Well, we just want to make sure that we have individuals trained up to be able to differentiate between the two. And I firmly believe that there is a difference, as do many. This is not an anti-made statement. But we just want to make sure that we have adequately prepared the practitioners so that they're going to be able to feel comfortable making decisions around this. Okay, is it, this is physicians across the country. We're talking what, ten, tens of thousands of physicians or thousands of physicians? Well, certainly not every psychiatrist is going to participate in the MADE process. This is going to be people who choose to be part of this process. But we also need time to train up those who do choose to be part of the process and, mm -hmm. and to be able to ensure that everyone is very clear on the pathways that we have the right educational models created and that those processes get implemented at the provincial level and again the provinces are exhausted and so we just want to ensure that we don't move too fast so that we don't lose all of the hard work that's been done up until now. Okay, two last questions. One is then, you, and I think you alluded to it, you're not making a stand about whether you're for or against MAID applying to people with mental illnesses. You're just talking about training people up to be able to make that determination? Absolutely. This okay. is the on-the-ground implementation. We want to ensure that the best processes are in place for practitioners, uh, for patients and their families. Okay, the other question is, I think you alluded to it, and you said uh, you're not asking for a long delay. What is it, bigger than a bread box? What kind of delay are you, what kind of time frame are you thinking? You know what, that is literally a great way to phrase it. You know, we don't have a firm, it has to be X amount. We wanna be involved and help with the process so that sometime in the near future that this gets rolled out in a way that's effective. I know that a huge amount of work has been done both provincially and federally, mm -hmm. and that a lot of thought has been put in and we're close. And so we just wanna make sure that we don't rush these last few months. And so I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. I, I think there's been a lot of engagement and consultation. We just yeah. wanna ensure that when it is implemented, that it's done properly. And, and for our viewers who don't aren't aware, there was a five-year grandfathering put in uh, for people to avail themselves for conditions that are mental illnesses. There was a five-year extension to study, to determine guidelines, and to train people up. That expires, or that comes due, uh, comes open, if you will, in March, mid-March. Uh, we've been told also that the Parliamentary Committee studying this is also delayed. So uh, is your hope that that might also delay implementation? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people who are anxiously awaiting this. Well, and, and that's that's part of the issue. You know, we don't want to have this roll out too fast and then it's a clunky rollout and that delays access even further. This is actually to ensure that this is done in such a way that people have access in the appropriate time frame. And, you know, if we make missteps, there could be a further pause and that's going to complicate 
access even further. Mm -hmm. We want to work with the government to ensure that we're on the same page and that this is a successful process. Okay, Dr. Valerie Taylor, thank you very much for taking the time and we will watch this with obviously with great interest. Thank you. Canada's business community is reflecting these days on the Trudeau government's new Indo-Pacific strategy and the growing number of warnings from ministers and the Prime Minister himself of the risks of doing business in China. Joining me now is someone who's worked with Canadian companies doing business in China as well as with one of China's largest corporations. Jean Charest is a former Quebec Premier, former Progressive Conservative leader. He is a partner with McCarthy Tetro and he's just contributed to a book on trade with the Indo-Pacific region. Monsieur Charest, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Mr. Singer. Let's uh, let's look at the, I mentioned the warnings that are coming now fast and furious from the, the, the Trudeau government. When she announced her our new Indo-Pacific strategy, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie said Canadian business people, and you represent many of them, should go to China, quote, clear-eyed. And her quote is, the decisions you take as business people are your own. My job, she says, is to tell you there are geopolitical risks in doing business in China. What do you make of her warnings? Well, we've been, uh, you know, waiting for this Indo-Pacific strategy from the federal government for a while now. Actually, I think about two years. And I, I'm not at all surprised by her, uh, you know, assessment of the relationship. And, and essentially what she's telling us, Martin, is part of what we've experienced in the last few years. China has become a superpower. And China behaves like a superpower with it's something Canadians are familiar with. We live next to the United States, we're friends and allies, but they're also a superpower. So from the get go, you know, their their way of dealing with issues in the world is that of the strongest country and force is often, uh, you know, the main uh, reflex when they're dealing with uh, with issues. Now, in the case of China, that's a communist country. Uh, we've learned the hard way that uh, if you get into a disagreement with them, that they will use uh, whatever they feel is necessary to get their way. I mean, the story of the two Michaels was pretty brutal. And, uh, you know, this was a state-sanctioned kidnapping. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, so there's a lot of lessons that were drawn from that. And what the government is saying, and Madame Jardine, they're right to say that, if you're a Canadian business <coughs> going to China, you should know that uh, this is a country that uh, is organized in such a way where the government calls the shots. Would um, you were and, involved? You mentioned the the two Michaels. You were involved representing uh, Huawei, the, one of the biggest corporations yeah. in Canada, while those two Canadians, the two Michaels, were taken hostage by the Can the Chinese government for three years. Um, you have yes. to deal with the fallout from that. Uh, what is your opinion? What do you tell Canadian businesses about the risks of things like that? Well, what we're going, looking at, Martin, in the next few years is that, and this is not only true for Canada, the United States, probably Europe, there's going to be areas in which there'll be a decoupling with the uh, Chinese economy, 5G, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, semiconductors, uh, anything that has to do with strategic minerals, sort of the decoupling. And the areas like, you know, uh, medical products, as we learned during COVID, we will not want to be totally dependent on the Chinese supply chains for our own needs. There are areas like that. Then there's other areas like natural resources where there isn't that, you know, immediate national threat or threat to our security. So we export canola, we export pork and beef and iron ore. And I think that that will continue. Of course, it should. And uh, but in other areas, we're going to fence them off for national security okay. reasons. Uh, as That's you mentioned, 
as you mentioned, okay, as you mentioned, uh, China is a superpower. As you also mentioned, China uses brute force and takes hostages and uses hostage diplomacy, which we have denounced. Uh, and as I'll mention, the, obviously the Indo-Pacific strategy is suggesting that people take that into account. I mean, the minister and the prime minister have also described China as a country that increasingly uh, doesn't even follow basic international trade rules and basic international rules of law. Uh, you have clients who are interested in or are in China. Would you, the, the government seems to be suggesting we should try and divert business from China and, and go to other places like India and Southeast Asia. There's no single answer. I mean, there's no absolute answer for all of this, Martin. It depends on what business you're running, how you run it, and who you deal with. I've met businesses who have had done very well in China and had good relationships, and I've gone in and out and done okay. Others, not. And so there is no, you know, uh, made uh, in advance answer to your question. Uh, companies have to uh, seek advice on who to deal with and, and, and how to deal with China. But we're going to continue to work with them. We're going to continue to sell pork. We're going to continue to sell beef and canola and iron ore. I can see that. Environmental technologies. And by the way, let's not you know forget that we need to cooperate in areas of common interest like climate change and uh, pandemics and issues of that nature. I mean, that's absolutely essential that we be engaged with China on these issues as the rest of the world if we're going to uh, be able to advance our own interest in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and, and cleaning up this mess that we have on the environment. Okay. So it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough, but we've gone from sunny ways on the relationship with China to dark days uh, with the Trudeau government. And and I think the assessment they're giving is right. And it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, they're giving a, a solid warning to Canadian businesses that this is not an ordinary country in which you're okay. going to be. Last question we saw at the G20 summit, uh, Prime, Prime Minister Trudeau actually spoke with President Xi. He actually said that we were not happy at all about Chinese intervention and interference in Canadian affairs. In a subsequent conversation, the cameras and the audio captured President Xi saying to our Prime Minister, mocking him, or, or not mocking him, but, but be a downgraded him, berating him, and saying there would be consequences. You mentioned beef, you mentioned canola, you mentioned pork. Well, we've seen multi-billion dollar embargoes of those products. Should we expect uh, retaliation from China? I don't think we'll see retaliation in the short term. I mean, that episode was very fascinating because it was unscripted. The Chinese do not like to have their president intervening in any form in an unscripted way. And uh, and and I don't I don't think there'll be consequences. But the whole episode, Martin, went around the world. I mean, I saw it in the French newspapers and Spanish newspapers, in the American and, and British, uh, because it was so unusual. But at the same time, you know, you, it's important that we stand up for what we believe in and in our values, and uh, and that's what we expect from the prime minister. And uh, one one thing that's extremely important: Canada cannot tolerate any foreign intervention within our democratic processes and our in domestic politics. I mean, that is unacceptable, no matter where it comes from and what form it comes under. And so in that respect, we are very right to send very clear messages in regards to, to our, our, the fact that we're not going to tolerate any type of intervention in our domestic politics. Okay, Mr. Charest, always interesting. We will no doubt have a chance to speak about this again. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you, Martin. Bye-bye. The Prime Minister on Thursday continued to face questions about Chinese interference in Canada and in Canada's election in 2019. The issue came up again as the Prime Minister visited London, Ontario.
interference in our country, in our democratic processes, is an ongoing challenge from many different countries, including China. And I get regularly briefed on uh, attempts by foreign actors uh, to uh, interfere in multiple processes uh, across Canada. Even with all the briefings I've had before and since, there has never been any information from our security services to me or to my team on candidates for a federal election being funded uh, by China. Joining me now to look at the big developments in federal politics are three-party observers. Mohammed Ali is a liberal, Tim Powers is a longtime conservative, and Kim Wright is joining us for the NDP. All three of you, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Randall. Okay, let's start with the Prime Minister. It was in London, Ontario, and again, he faced these questions about that report that the Chinese government was allegedly involved in financing 11 candidates in the 2019 federal election. Um, he continues to categorically say that he was not told by any authority or a Canadian official of any funding of Canadian candidates. Uh, that despite the fact that the media report, Global TV News continues to cite a source, they say, that says he was briefed on the illegal funding. He's talked about general inquiries going on, general interference in general terms by Chinese in Canada. Uh, the big question is, where is this issue going, Mohammed? Look, I mean, the Prime Minister gets briefed on, on a wide range of issues that, you know, election interference has been a topic um, for a number of years, whether it's from Russia or China, other state actors, the Prime Minister has admitted that this is an issue that democracies across, you know, particularly in the NATO NATO side and G7 have to deal with, um, you know, from, from adversaries like China. So the prime minister has been clear, like he's been briefed uh, on specific candidates. I think that's what he said, that he has not been briefed on specific candidates. And we don't know who these candidates are. Are they, are they one election? Are they the currency in the House of Commons? Are they you know, candidates from other parties. Uh, we don't know, and, I, and from as I understand, the prime minister has not been specifically briefed on who those specific candidates are. Okay. Um, I think he's been briefed on more broadly of like, yes, it's an issue that we are monitoring and tracking from CSIS and, and others, and and he's admitted to that. And, and I think his responses have been to that point of being careful with how he chooses words, and he has to be, he's a world leader, and he has to deal with a very delicate matter of, of foreign interference in the country. Okay, Tim, the question is, I mean, the Conservatives, every question period uh, for two weeks now, have continued to ask the question. The Prime Minister has continued to say, no, I wasn't briefed. Where does this go? Uh, well, just picking up something Mohammed said there, look, you know, I, I don't think we're ever going to know the absolute truth here or anything close to it. There's disinformation, misinformation, uncertain information. I think in large measure, some of that's deliberate, given the foreign actor we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it'll be you and your colleagues, Martin, who can paint the closest picture to what's actually happening. More disturbing to me than the story of the um, electoral interference, there are these so-called poli Chinese police stations yeah. that allegedly exist in Toronto, three of them. Um, and I think the broader political issue here that the prime minister has to deal with is by is answering the question does canada have a grip on this do we know what we're doing to counterbalance to undermine to protect uh, to undermine the chinese and to protect our own democracy so the hot story yes is is the candidates but there seems to be a lot of other entrails of items that ought to concern us and are we safe from chinese yeah 
broad-based um, surveillance of Canadians and Canadian security and intelligence. Okay, Kim, the question to you then, what, uh, there are the two questions. There's a specific question about this instance and the, con the Prime Minister's continued denial that he was ever briefed on the specific allegations. The RCMP says they were never given any specific information on electoral improprieties. Uh, so does the uh, elections, uh, the uh, Chief Electoral Officer. And then there's the broader issue uh, to which the Prime Minister has said, well, we are looking into it. And I even talked to Prime, you know, the, Prime Minister, the Chinese President Xi on it and got rebuked for talking to him about it. Where does this go? politically, where do you see this going, Kim? Well, it depends on whether or not there is some sort of, you know, proverbial smoking gum and gun in a political sense, just to be very clear yeah. when I use that term. Um, what we what we know is the prime minister is very clear with his language, um, you know, and that that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Was he exactly briefed before, during or after the election? Who knows? Uh, but he likes to to parse those hairs pretty specifically. Not dissimilarly, we, we saw the sport minister around the hockey Canada situation suggest that she hadn't been told about the sexual misconduct allegations at Hockey Canada. Um, well, that's a little hard to believe. Maybe she wasn't specifically briefed, uh, but anyone who'd been around a hockey rink for the last 20 years knew that there were some problems. So, you know, whether he wanted to ask, whether he wanted to know or wanted some plausible deniability, I'm not sure we'll ever quite know, but I think people can make up their own mind. But the other thing, and picking up on a point that Tim was making, you know, we frankly have had an issue with China for quite some time, but the diplomatic challenges in the with between ambassadors mm. and our own work within uh, within the global community around China uh, and the prime minister's own you know sometimes flippant comments around around China. Um, has been a problem that has dogged him, frankly, from the moment he took office as prime minister. So I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I am quite concerned uh, that, you know, we have a government that is continues to not be that great on the world stage on these diplomatic issues. And I will say this, as I often say, which is you want to be the leader of a G7 country, you need to be better about how your place in the world and the diplomatic situation. Uh, be curious, ask some questions, and don't, don't just hope that nobody asks you something later on. Okay, let's look at another big issue uh, this week, and it's, it's got lots of political ramifications. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, and she tabled her Alberta sovereignty in a United Canada legislation this week. Um, what do you make of the reaction we're seeing from federal politicians, the Trudeau government, and also conservatives and NDPers uh, on Parliament Hill? Uh, start with you, uh, Mohammed. Sure, I think um, I'm surprised a little bit that it hasn't been a little bit more hotly debated mm -hmm. uh, more publicly. This is, you know, we talk about Quebec a long time about their sovereignty aspirations and the separatist movement there, and and, and all that goes on. And, and Alberta's really following pattern, ironically, which given their their shared histories with each other's relations. But you know, uh, the prime minister, you know, get his comments is is you know closely watching this and. And you know, in all honesty, I think there has to be some more um, firm language, and you know, folks like Pierre Oliver are keeping very quiet because that's ultimately the base that exists out there for 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 conservatives. So, you know, the prime minister is going to watch this, and it will have to intervene probably at some point, given the uh, court challenges are likely to come from there, and question marks from global investors who are going to say, "Look, what are you? What's going on here? Like, is there not some?" stability that we can be achieved because you know they're investing money into there there's integrated uh, mm -hmm. economies across this country with alberta the natural resources another play like this is just one of those distracting and 
uh, impulsive decision that the Alberta Premier has taken that um, in reality should be looking to work with others. I understand the frustration that Albertans will face with, with dealing with the federal government. I think every province does. Uh, but choosing to try and circumvent federal laws like this is just, and then punishing municipalities for enforcing federal laws. This is just ludicrous. Okay. And, and I expect stronger language to come from 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 leaders of the par federal parties. OK, Tim, I'll, 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 I'll turn on the other side. The other argument made by the prime minister uh, is that we're not going to get all exorcised about this until we actually have to address it. Uh, it might not even survive the legislature in Alberta. Uh, there are challenges that will come from Albertans if, before the court. So he's basically saying, I'm keeping my powder dry. And I think the quote from Wednesday was, I'm not going to pick a fight yet. Uh, and and I'd also be interested in your comment about how the uh, Conservatives were, seem to be walking on eggshells on this one. Well, the Prime Minister has been very deliberate, not just in Alberta, but in Quebec, when they brought forward legislation. We, we've seen that particularly around religious artifacts. Uh, he's kept his head for the most part. Uh, so the Conservatives, to be fair, and sometimes Mr. Singh and the NDP as well. I don't think in Alberta the federal government or nor the federal Conservatives are going to look to provoke or breathe air into this. Yeah. I think this act is purely a political, it is, is a legislative uh, initiative, but it really is a political tool to try and haul the federal liberals into the Alberta election. And I think they're wise to keep their head down on this right now. Um, uh, look, as a, as an as an in potential instrument of law, it is odious. And I'm fully with Jason Kenney and everything that Jason said as he resigned from the Alberta legislature about all of this. Look, we've got to work on institutions. We've got to find ways to solve problems within our system, not just create political tools that have the long-term okay. uh, potential of undermining the province. The final thing I'd say quickly, Mark, this is not to say there aren't legitimate grievances, grievances in Alberta or elsewhere, but this isn't about those legitimate okay. grievances in my view. Kim, I want to get your opinion about how the federal parties have addressed it and how this is obviously uh, has uh, Rachel Notley and the provincial NDP in mind as well. Look, the, Danielle Smith has been talking about this certainly during the summer, during the campaign. We heard it on the ground at, in Calgary at Stampede this past summer, and it got her lots of new members. It raised her a ton of money, and it will continue to do that. It will increase their coffers and their database, and not to be cynical about it, but that's really what this boils down to. The challenge mm -hmm. becomes, again, the continuous use of you know, constitutional, notwithstanding clauses, all of the rest of it. At some point, the prime minister and federal leaders need to be much more forceful about why people should stay in Canada, what is the value proposition of the confederation of the federation, and really start to uh, you know dispel some of these myths and rumors. And if you uh, if people think that this is not going to gain ground and gain traction, especially in Alberta, they're you know they may need to recalibrate their social media feeds because I can tell you, uh, it it is certainly uh, something that continues to be talked about. And one of the things I would like to see is, you know, if we're going to start talking about the Constitution, which we frankly very well might have to, considering that, you know, Quebec doesn't stop using the notwithstanding clause in, in any case that they feel mm -hmm. like they can and should. And so we need to start to relook at what does the Constitution, what does Confederation look like? Those are scary propositions, but okay. I will always say, let's throw municipalities into that because they keep getting undermined by all of these conversations. Something tells me we will probably be revisiting both of these subjects. I want to thank both of uh, all three of you. Thanks uh, for taking, your, for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
And that is our program. I'm Martin Stringer sitting in for Michael Serapio. On behalf of everyone here at CPAC, thanks for watching. We'll see you again tomorrow.